Thank you for tuning in to What's the Wi-Fi Password, an extension of our youth ministry at Calvary Monterey. Here you will find teachings from our Tuesday night studies, as well as conversations about relevant topics for our parents and students. James chapter 2, we've been going through this awesome letter, we've been taking our time through it. Uh, we're on schedule. We're going to be finishing in November. Like I said, it's going to kind of lead into a, a heart of service in the month of uh, month of November. We're going to do a, a foster care kind of outing on a Saturday. Then we're going to do uh, a homeless outing or, or help out the, the I Help Women type ministry, make sandwiches for them. And then it's going to lead into really uh, Thanksgiving where, where the plan is to do an Operation Turkey, guys. Um, and if you haven't done one of those in a previous youth group, I've done them in, in previous youth groups before. They're a lot of fun. It'll be cool. It'll be cool. So... But really the heart of James, what it is, as we continue through this, and you'll hear me say this till I'm blue in the face, is that it's this, this living, practical, and healthy faith. It's a living, practical, and healthy faith. It's really James wanting us as Christians, if you call yourself a Christian tonight, for you to take kind of these dry bones that we can make faith into, these, these dead bones that we can make works into, and put some muscle and tissue and life into these bones and make them real, make them obvious, make them evident to the world around us. And so reading through this book, studying through this book, my heart as God like, kind of led me through or into this to study with you guys and into November is, is that it'll be a heart of service. That you come into November this month where we have this massive holiday where we are supposed to be thankful and then leading into Christmas where it's a whole lot of selfishness. But yet hopefully it leads to this heart where it's like, no, I want to keep giving. I want, that I want, I want a heart that, and, a, and a faith that's real and working and evident. And really it all kind of comes together, guys, with with this heart of Jesus, this, this heart of what Jesus was like and, and the things that he did, his, his example to us. I mean, really, as we go into this, this section tonight, this faith without works is dead. If you've been to the church of any amount of time, gone through children's ministry, if you're ever in middle school, I'm sure you heard at some point, faith without works is dead. You've heard that phrase. Right? This is something that, that's very Christian-y, right? It's very churchy to say something like that. If you've never been to church before and you heard faith without works is dead, you'd be like, what? What does that mean? Like, what, what does that have to do with anything? And so really to kind of ask yourself that question, I would first ask you tonight as young Christians, do you abide in Jesus? Do you abide in Jesus? Does your life in some way represent Jesus's life? You know, if, if you've been in this youth group, you know, as I described baptism, as I described sanctification, this process of, of identifying with Jesus, that your life is no longer just your own, that you're no longer just Liam, or you're no longer just Jose, but you are Jose, a servant of Christ, right? Or Liam, a servant of Christ, that you identify with Jesus. And really to, to ask yourself, do I abide in Jesus? Is my life identified with him? Can then also bring to light faith without works is dead. Now, I, I'll argue that if you can't say tonight, no, I don't abide in Jesus, or my life is not resembled with Jesus, then you can't say my faith is alive. You can't say that my faith and my works coexist so that my, they, they work together to, to produce a living, active, practical, healthy faith. But if you can't answer that first question, yes, then you can't answer the second one. We have to look inwardly, and that's really what the book of James is going to continue to, to drive us to do, to look inwardly. As you choose to take this faith as, you, as your own, as you are young high schoolers, you are young men and women that are entering this world, looking to the future, you no longer can say I'm a Christian because my parents are. You no longer can say I'm a Christian because I go to church on Tuesday nights or because I've been to a couple camps or because I got baptized. Like You no longer can say just because of those things I'm a Christian. But you are as young adults saying now, yeah, I do abide in Jesus. 
Or my life is with Christ. And so in that, I can have an active and real and practical faith, a living faith. And so you have to ask yourself, do I abide in Jesus? See, the fact is, if this faith and works theology that James is going to talk about tonight, if this is not based in a real, loving, and personal relationship with Jesus, basically it'll become legalism in your life, guys. It will become this dead, works-based legalism. I've, I've gotten uh, the ability, and I've, I've been blessed to go to a lot of different countries. And you guys, I'm telling you, whether I, it was Ukraine or Russia or even Nostradamus in Paris or the cathedrals in Cuba or, or you guys in, in, you know, in Mexico these, these, or England, these giant, beautiful cathedrals that, that were made to honor God and to show God's like, magnificent like, wonder and his power and this, these massive structures that were literally built to show us God's wonder. And just how amazing he is. And yet you see in these places, many of these places, they're just dead. They're just pieces of antiquity now. They're just these, they're just these architecture that, were, that are amazing to look at, but there's truly no life within them. If, you've ever, if you ever get a chance to go to Russia or Ukraine and to see these, these, um, these real, in a sense, these stoic type paintings within. I mean, they're almost like, like scary, right? These, these giant pictures of hell and people being saved from them. And it's just like, it's intense. But you walk into these places and that's all they are. It's just art, just pieces of antiquity. There's no life within them. And what they are lacking, you guys, is this true, personal, real relationship with Jesus. And see, even within this youth group, this can become a youth group of legalism. This can become a youth group of just work-based faith if there's not a true, real, personal relationship with Jesus here tonight. And so a lot of what we read through James can be interpreted and can come off sometimes as legalism, as like, well, if I do the works, then God will honor my faith. Or if I do the works, then I'm, I'm a, the next level up Christian. When the fact is you first have to have the base. No, I abide in Jesus. And my walk with Jesus is real and it's personal. And it's something that's intimate to me. And it's something that I enjoy and something I want to be a part of and I want to grow in. And from that basis... From that understanding, you guys, the theology of faith and works makes sense. Outside of that, if you're sitting here tonight and you're like, yeah, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I, I'm not really pursuing one. I'm not really about my faith right now. I'm just here because my parents are making me. Then, yeah, this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to understand. And, and we can strive and we can try, but that's what makes religion, guys. is when man's works are trying to get to God. When man's works are trying to earn God's favor, that's where we get religion. That's where we get like this works-based faith. That's where we get a dead faith. But see, if it's based in, again tonight, in a loving, personal, real relationship with Jesus, that legalism, that works, it dies out. Because from that basis, your theology is sound. From that basis, it's real, you guys. So does that make sense? You following with me? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the basis tonight. We have to go off of that. So let's continue on now. Verse 14, read with me through the scriptures, guys. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Pray with me real quick. Father, we come before you. Thank you for your word. God, I ask and pray that you would speak right now that your spirit would move through the hearts and minds of these young people, Lord, past my words and my inadequacies as a man. God, that you would move right now, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right, so James gives us a section of scripture from verse 14 uh, down to verse 17. You guys, he gives us this kind of story, right? Now, hopefully you can read that and you can understand what James is saying. 
It's not too hard, right? James makes it very practical for us, very real. Basically in the sense, if you see somebody in need, right? He says someone that's poor or hungry, that, that they don't have the clothes to be warmed or the, the type of material to, to stay warm outside. And you say to them and you see them in need and you say to them, hey, I'll pray for you. I, I, know, I, I know what I can do. I'll pray for you. And you pray for them. God, fill their bellies with your spirit and keep them warm by your hand. And God, just like bless them. And then go, then, then you say, amen. And you're like, okay, go away now. You're good. I prayed for you. And yet you gave them no clothes to cover their back. And you gave them no food to fill their belly or no water to, to, to quench their thirst. It's a very practical, very, very like, like in your face type of way of James saying, you're not doing any good. <laughs> there's, there's no substance to your faith if that's all you do for this person. He gives us this very practical, very, again, in your face type of example of this faith and works. Now, he wants to do this for us because in this section, if you remember the section before of chapter 2, James talked about partiality. That if he gave us a scenario, if a poor man and a rich man came into this, this church or even into this youth group, and we said to the, the kid that's dressed in like the, the good kicks and the, the snap clothes and the clutch whatever, right? <laughs> I'm teasing, guys. Come on. And I was like, hey, best seat in the house. You guys, get up. Get out of here. He's sitting right here. And then some kid came in, he stunk a little bit, he was wearing mishmash stuff, you could tell he's coming from the wrong side of town, and I'm like, dude, you just sit in the back, sit in the corner where no one has to smell you. James warns against that by saying, don't show partiality, they're both brothers in Christ, they're both people that Jesus died for, who are you to show judgment and partiality, that man, right, who are you to do that? Now, leading into this section, this isn't a separate section, but what James continues on now by saying in verse 15, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food. So take that same scenario from the, from the previous section of James chapter 2 and apply it to now that same poor man, that same poor sister, that same brother or sister in Christ that Jesus died for, who is your brother and sister in Jesus, is in this room and they're in need and you can help fill that need. I mean, the, pra- the, fa- the fact is, guys, most of us in this room aren't lacking or in need of anything, are we? Most of us in this room tonight, probably all of us, have a full belly, right? We're not, we're not dying of thirst, right? None of us in this room have probably ever really, like, suffered of thirst or suffered of hunger, right? We, we all have plenty of clothes in our drawers and in our closet, don't we? Right? We probably have extra sleeping bags and pillows and, and an extra jacket that we could give away or shoes, we all have an excess of things, right? We can all admit to that. I do. We can all admit to that, right? Yeah, okay. And so what James is basically saying to that same poor person, that same person that was, that was ill-dressed from the first section to this one, he's now saying that they are a brother or sister. So it's, and so many times, and probably when I taught James before, I, I very much focus on like the homeless in this, right? If you see a homeless person and you pray for them but not give them anything, now we can take it like that. Right? I do. I keep water bottles and cliff bars in my truck. So if, I, if, if a homeless person comes up to me and asks for something, I can give them something. I'm not going to give them money, but I can give them a cliff bar. I can give them a water bottle and it can create some type of relationship with them. When I worked at Mount Hermon, a big part of what I would do is I'd, I'd kind of circle the property of Mount Hermon and Santa Cruz there and I'd have to kick out homeless people because Santa Cruz is full of homeless people. And I would always keep water bottles and cliff bars in my backpack because if I walk up to them and they know I'm like the man, I'm the law, I'm going to kick them off the property, and if I give them a water bottle and some food first, it usually softens the deal a little bit. They don't want to kill me, right? And a lot of them are crazy. But the idea here is that, that you, this can be taken like that. But see, I want to take it a step further because I think James' heart is that we're looking within the church here. We're looking in, in within the body of Christ. We're looking within this youth group and saying, like, are we meeting these needs? 
Are we see, even seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? What's the heart of this youth group? What's the heart of the body of Christ? See, Jesus even gave us this example in Mark chapter 3, verse 33, where he says, uh, or it says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, Jesus, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered them, Who are my mothers and who are my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mothers, here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of a God, he is my brother, sisters, and mother. Even Jesus was giving the example, those that walk in the, the light of Christ, those that walk in God's will, those that are about, about the church, brothers and sisters, that's, this is your family, you guys. This is, this is who Jesus is talking about. In other places, Jesus actually said, those to be my disciple, you must deny your mother and your brother. You must deny, and, and even to a point of hating, not like literally hating, like you hate your mom and dad, but to the, so much you are so devoted to Jesus, it's as if you're no longer devoted. You are no longer that last name. This is a teaching that, of discipleship that Jesus really does like hammer on. We don't talk about it a whole lot in today's society and in today's Christianity, but this discipleship is one of abandonment. And yet here, as James is kind of pulling from the words of Jesus, where Jesus basically said, no, those that are sitting around me, those that are obeying God and following God, these are my brothers and my sisters. These are my family. These are who I care about. These are who matter to me. And so again, as we go back to that section in James, are we treating each other the same way? Are we, in a sense, treating each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? Is this a youth group, when someone new walks in, they feel belonging. They feel as brothers and sisters. Are we creating cliques? Are we, have we created positions within our, ourselves, you guys, where I've earned my spot in this place. I've been at this youth group this many years. I've been here this long. I've earned my spot. And the fact is, guys, whether freshman to senior, wherever you sit here tonight, wherever you are, there's no positions. I don't have a position, you guys. I may have a title of pastor, but that doesn't mean squat. I'm still your brother in Christ. And just because I'm a little bit older than you, where I have some wisdom and I've lived through a little more life than you, right? And I can teach you something. That's discipleship. That's not position, right? But see, the thing is, you guys, we all have to have this heart. And see, again, where this can focus on the poor, where it's easy to see that and go, well, well, we could just take the scripture and not focus on ourselves, not focus on our churches, because that's hard, right? It's hard to focus on our churches and to say, see what's wrong when we're not loving each other like Jesus did. Even Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 7, For the poor you always have with you, but you do not have me with you always. Even Jesus brought up the point that like, the poor are always going to be there. So it's so easy as a body of Christ to focus on the outside world. It is. To say we need to reach out. We need to be this example. We need to, to, to be about the homeless. We need to be about this people or be about that subgroup. And that's true. We do. We need to reach out to them. We need to love them. Right? We should do something for the poor, the widow. James said earlier, if you remember in, cha- in chapter 1, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion is to, to reach out to the widow, to the orphan, to help those in need. But that's all part of it. But see, it doesn't mean much if we're not loving each other in here, does it? I mean, we can do all kinds of things out there. But if we're hating each other in here, if we're rude to each other in here, if we're not being welcoming, if, if my older classmen aren't reaching down and helping up the younger classmen here, then what, what, what use would it be to be out there? If we were to go on a mission trip this summer, a big mission trip, what use would it be to go to another place and be Jesus if we're, if we're not being Jesus here? You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense, guys? See, I'm hammering on this because I really believe this is James' heart. 
I really believe he was reaching out to the Christians and, and really asking them, are you showing Jesus? See, the, the, the idea here, when we ask this, ourselves this question and kind of look at this statement, you know, faith by itself, it, it's dead without works. When we look at that statement, this really, you guys, in, in a lot of ways, should bring up the question of a practical, real love, a practical, real faith within us here. As James brings this statement, faith without works, or faith by itself is dead without works. And when we look at that statement, it should really kind of stir up in us this heart of Jesus and this practical, real faith. And if it doesn't, then there's a problem. Then something, it's kind of like the horse is before the cart. You know, the cart is before the horse. <laughs> you want the horse in front of the cart, right? Yeah, yeah. We, you know, the, yeah. It's like the cart is in front of the horse. The horse doesn't push, the horse pulls. You get it? No, it pulls. <laughs> you can push, Keanu. I'll pull. Um, so anyway, guys, the idea here is that there has to be a foundation first uh, for, for one another. That's the Christian faith. And, and I've been a part of youth groups, and I've seen youth groups in other towns, and they're like the big flashy youth groups, and they got the big bands and the big lights, and, and they go on these giant mission trips. You know, but then there are also youth groups where I've seen kids bring back, you know, drugs from those countries and, and some chick gets pregnant on that trip. And, you know, it's like, it's like, what is that youth group like? I'm not judging. I'm not, I'm not saying specific youth groups. I'm not judging anyone specifically, but I'm just saying like, if there's not something internal here, right, if there's not something going on internal here, then, then why are we going out? And so James here, I do believe in this verse 14 through 17. The idea is that when we look inwardly, when we look at our own body, our own, our own place right here in our youth group, like are we, are we reaching those needs? Right? He uses some practical needs here, doesn't he? Food, clothing. You know, these are just practical outward things. And are we reaching just the simple needs of each other? Are we just being a community? One of the, the greatest things that humanity has for each other is community. Right? That we can come together, that we can share a likeness in Jesus, that we can, we can honor one, one another, we respect one another, that we can... We can like value one another. That's something that humanity has that no, no other creature has. And see, if we're not just meeting those specific, like, like simple specific needs, then there's something wrong. And yet James, again, in verse 17, he says, so also faith by itself, that it does not have works is dead. So this, this statement comes up again. So continuing on with me in verse 18, guys. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you, uh, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent, out, sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All right. So again, the statement is so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James gives us this section of eight, verse 18 to 26 that basically outline and give us these two examples of this statement that faith by itself is dead without works even ending in verse 26 by by giving us like in a sense the spirit and the body like a dead body is a dead body right there's not kind of dead and right? when something's dead it's dead right can anyone agree on that mm -hmm. yeah there's not kind of dead okay and in the same way this faith without works 
Right? This faith without active faith you know, works. You guys okay back there? You're like, yeah, it's dead. What? <laughs> They're all knuckle bumping back there. Um, the whole idea is that, that in the same way, this faith without active works is dead. Now, James gives us two examples. He gives us Abraham right, from the book of Genesis, who is basically defined as the Jewish father of faith. And then he gives us this woman, Rahab, from the book of Joshua, who was a, a pagan, heathen, prostitute of Jericho. Right? He gives us these two crazy examples. They're very different, aren't they? You have like the Jewish father of faith and a pagan prostitute. Pretty different. You can't get much different. But yet James gives us this example, these two examples of faith. Like why? Why, why does he give us these? Why does he lay these out? Any answer? Why does he give us these two crazy examples? What? Show they're the same. Yeah. I mean, basically, I, I thought of this answer too, guys. I thought of it, and really, it's because God did. In Scripture, these are the examples God gives us of these amazing acts of faith. We're literally in one where Abraham was giving up everything he knew, and, yet, and, now, and also Rahab was literally willing to sacrifice everything that she had to act in God's will, to act for God. Now, these, both these examples, they're, they're amazing because they had no written work. There was no, like, Ten Commandments. In, in either of their place. There was no, in a sense, this, this word written to them where, where, where you know, God says to do this. They didn't have this Bible to explain to them situations and circumstances to help them walk through. They didn't have some awesome youth pastor helping them through life. Right? They, didn't, they didn't walk through like church. They didn't have Sunday school. They didn't have this huge understanding of who God was. But in some way, both of them came to a place of, of seeing God's wonder, of seeing his might, hearing his voice in some way, and then acting on it. There are these Old Testament examples to us of this faith and works, where Abraham was given the, the, the quest of leaving his home and following God, and God said, because you're, 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 you're going to listen to me, because you're going to follow me, I'm going to bless your life, even to the point where, where he was willing to sacrifice his own son because his faith was so strong that he knew that God had promised a, a nation through Isaac. So if I am to sacrifice Isaac... God will raise him from the dead. Abraham's faith was so strong, his work was so attached to his faith that he was willing to, to even sacrifice his own son because he believed in faith God would raise him from the dead. Where Rahab, in a sense, she lived in this, this military outpost of Jericho. She was this woman that probably owned some type of tavern that the Jewish men were in. And she saw the works and the wonder of God. She heard about this three million man army. Literally, the people of Israel at this time were like three million people had crossed across, came across the Jordan River and into the land. I mean, this is something that, that, that she had heard of the wonders of Egypt. And, and even though she had no written word of God, she had no like Bible or example except to see God's wonder. She saw enough of that, had enough faith and to, to apply that faith to her works to save the two spies and send them out of a different way and even lie to the, the, the soldiers of Jericho. I mean, these, both these acts, you guys, even though one was to fully obey God's voice, and then the, the prostitute Rahab was basically out of fear of this, this mighty and awesome God that's coming to conquer her city. Both were these faith and works combined to, to put them both in the word of God. You see what I'm saying, you guys? This, this faith still had to be attached to works. There still had to be a, a combination. If Rahab just saw the wonders, if she just saw the might but did nothing about it, she would have been killed with every other, Jer every other person that lived in Jericho at that time when they attacked Right? If Abraham had heard the word of God, had seen his wonder, and yet not followed, he would have, he would have been just another blip in history. There would have been nothing about it. 
But see, both of them put works to a faith to, to create this, this story about both of them in here. And see, James gives us this and lays it out for us, you guys, so that we can have that as an example, so that we can see this. Because the fact is, in this, you guys, and as, as James lays it out there, uh, he, he basically, as he describes Abraham, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. See, this is before Jesus, you guys. See, we sit here tonight and we call ourselves Christians. We're, we're bought and, and we're paid for by the blood of Jesus. And that's why we call ourselves Christians, because of what Jesus did. And we're righteous. We're right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. But see, even before Jesus, Abraham took this step. He took this step to trust God and to, to walk in faith and also attach his works to his faith. To work out what God had put in him. And he was called righteous. He was called a friend of God. I think it's interesting, this theology, that we're, we're even in the Old Testament, Abraham is made right with God through faith and through works. It's this combination. It's not just faith, but Abraham had to act on that faith. He had to take the step. God wasn't tugging him. God wasn't making him do anything. And see, it really hasn't changed, has it? At some point in your Christian walk, you guys, you have to make that choice to say, yes, I'm going to follow God. I want my life, I want who I am to be identified with Jesus. And no one's twisting your arm to do it. No one's, no one's breaking your back to make you come to church and to make you get baptized and to make you walk with Jesus. But at some point, you have to take that step physically, as it were, to follow Jesus. And as God calls you deeper, as Jesus calls you deeper into discipleship, you then have to take those steps to then be abandoned, to abide in Jesus. See, that term abide, you guys, is literally a within. Like to live within Jesus live under his, his, his authority and his, his supremacy over you, that you would submit yourself under him. And see, as we walk in Christ, it's a constant step of faith that you say, yes, I will, I will trust God. I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to walk to this. I'm going to trust him. And it goes all the way, you know, in Romans chapter one, Paul talks about that this is faith to faith. All right? At some point you have to say, Jesus, yeah, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put works to this, this thing called faith. And you're going to live this Christian life. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make right choices. You're going to honor God. You're going to disobey him. You're going to live this life. And on your deathbed, guess what, guys? It ends with what? Faith. You're still going to trust God that, that he's going to take you into eternity at your deathbed. It starts with faith and it ends with faith. This whole life is based in faith. And see, every person, every human being on earth is walking in some type of faith, you guys. If you're an atheist, you have faith that there is no afterlife, that there is no God. If you're an agnostic, you have faith that, that the knowledge will come to you eventually. Right? Everybody is putting faith in something and in some type of belief and some type of vision and some type of theology. Everybody. I don't care how secular, secular you are, you are putting faith in something. And see, the fact is, as Christians, as we sit here tonight, we say we're putting faith in a God who saved us, who, 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 who put his spirit inside of us. And then we're going to work it out. We're going to show that faith and the evidence of it by working out an, a real, practical, healthy faith. You, guys. you see how it works together? You see how the Christian walk needs to continue on in that? Like I said in verse 26, Paul describes this faith and works as, as for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Like I said, dead is dead, you guys. There's not some type of kind of dead. And so your faith can have no substance or potency without a working and living, in a sense, body attached to it. 
I, I've known too many Christians, you guys, who are who walk in a works-based faith, and they they walk walk in I'm sorry, a work-based based. Oh my gosh, a works-based religion, and so they constantly try to work to get to God. They constantly try to get enough tally marks to earn God's favor. And maybe if I do this good deed, it'll cancel out this sin, and if I do this thing, it'll cancel out that bad thing. And they, they constantly live a life of, of ping pong and back and forth. And there's, there's no happiness in that. There's no joy. And there's no substance. There's no real Christian walk. And the Christians that I see that have the most impact in the life they live in, whether it's, it's on the mission field, impact in the life they live in, whether it's, it's on the mission field or at the college they go to, the sports team they go to, or the school that they're involved in, like wherever they find themselves at, the drama team, wherever it is, the Christians that I see have the most impact are those that understand that they have faith in the God that saved them and loved them. And they understand that God, that God indwells them through the, his spirit. And in that, I want to work it out. I want to work now for this God who saved me. I'm not working to earn my salvation. I'm not working to earn God's favor, but I'm working because everything God did for me. So again, it comes back to that first question I asked, do you abide in Jesus? Because the scripture won't make sense unless you can answer that one first. Does your life abide in Jesus? Does your life truly dwell in the presence of God? Do you, in a sense, in your life, do you, do you strive to know God more? Do you strive to, to be like more like Jesus? Because from that, the theology of faith and works makes sense. If you can't answer that question, if you can't answer the question of, of you guys doing sign language back and forth? Something's going on. Um, Jenny and Carter are making eyes at each other. Uh, yeah, he just hit him in the face with the Kit Kat. Don't hit people in the face with Kit Kats, can you? <laughs> yeah. All right, so, so the whole idea here, guys, again, if that, if that question is not answered, do I abide in Jesus, do you abide in Jesus, then this theology won't make sense. It won't. It'll become this work-based religion that just is truly like dead bones. It just will. And so I ask you tonight, you guys, search yourself, search your heart, talk to your small group leader, like even tonight, if you don't know that this is for sure, if you don't know that this is real, that, that you don't abide in Jesus or you do abide in Jesus, like talk about it tonight. Don't let another youth group go by where you just go, well, I don't know. Like don't let that happen. So let me pray, guys, and then we'll uh, go over some of the questions real quick. Father, we come before you and just thank you again for your word, how real and true it is. And God, we just thank you for, for loving us through this as we're trying to figure it out. And we, we stumble and bumble so many times, God. Lord, let's just thank you so much for what you do. So we give you this, Lord. I ask that, that our faith and our works would be this real living thing as we continue to pursue you and learn what it means to be a Christian. So God, we thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. All right, guys. So questions tonight, small group questions. Any uh, leaders, any remarks on them or anything that we need to cover more or anything that wasn't clarified? I want to hear from some of you guys. Um, what is your reaction when you see a homeless person? Not a homeless person. A homeless person. <laughs> I want to hear from some of you high schoolers. Lauren, what's your reaction when you see a homeless person? When you pull out of the Trader Joe's parking lot there, and they're standing in the corner of Chipotle. When we were talking a lot about how um, it's a lot of curiosity. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's kind of, um, like how did they get here? What's your story? Like what, what, where are you in your life? What do you need? Just a lot of like questions. Okay. Have you ever asked one? Um, not a lot. Yeah. yeah. I don't really drive, so I'm not in charge of the car. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Well, that's good. So you got questions. Yeah. Okay. Has anyone ever asked 
like a homeless person, like what, why they're where they're at. Yeah, and that can be a little dangerous. <laughs> Young ladies, I'm not telling you just to go up to some random homeless person and you know ask them, but like, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a great point, Lauren. Like, I would I would encourage you to do that. There's this uh, gentleman. His name Bar- his name's Barney. He hangs out at East Village quite a bit. Pretty harmless. I had some weird ideas. Um, but he's, he's got a bike. He's always got a stroller behind it or some type of cart. I bought him coffee probably half a dozen times. Um, but he'd be a guy to talk to. You know, someone like that. Someone that doesn't look too threatening. But ask him. He'll tell you. He'll tell you. He just he got to a point in his life where he didn't want anything anymore. And he chose to be there. And so he travels around. And he, he's homeless. He's fully homeless. But he takes care of himself. He gets haircuts and cleans up and stuff. I don't think he has any addictions. He's just a little, a little out there. So um, anyone else? What do you guys see? What do you guys see when you see a homeless person? Caleb, what about you, man? It depends on the homeless person, too. I mean, some you can tell are, like, hopped up or mm-hmm. kind of tell their lifestyle. I okay. mean, at least you see a lot of it. Sure. But, uh, I mean, like, kind of our family's policy, like, to be the help one is not giving them money, kind of like what you said. Mm-hmm. You don't know what they're going to use them They'll use them drugs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the ones that are like, I just need a beer. I'm not going to lie. Is he a beer? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just need weed, yeah. <laughs> In Santa Cruz? Yeah. Well, at the work, too. I just need weed. Oh, yeah, the one guy. Yeah, he sits there, yeah. He just sits there like, oh, I need some money for pot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is being honest, you know. Um, yeah, it's interesting, right, guys? I think it's interesting that Jesus said in, in John 12, the homeless will always be with you. That mindset will always be there with people. Uh, even with the bridge, you know, Mike Casey knows, and Pastor Mike Casey, when they get a homeless guy in, he's going he's gonna to get some food in his belly, he's going to clean up, get some clothes, and he's going to be gone. Like that mindset is really hard to battle with, you know. Um, it's really hard to take out of somebody once they've lived that kind of, not freeing, but just no rules type lifestyle where they just basically get to do whatever they want. Okay? Any of the comments, you guys? Do any of you guys ever feel compassion or sympathy, anger? I know personally, I get angry sometimes. Like, like, who, who are you to be standing on this corner when there's jobs to do? There's things to do. Like, I can get totally self-righteous sometimes like that. Right? Like, go get a job. <laughs> I get a job right now. Like, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Um, That's good. Yeah, they are a person, right? Like Jesus totally died for them. He loves them. He cares for them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I like that. The Caleb. So your family's fed them before and kind of like done more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's good. All right. So James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, which we read tonight, you guys, the whole faith without works is dead. Uh, we are confronted with the thought of putting action to our faith with the Christians we have community with. Are there any brothers or sisters within our own youth group that you could have more compassion on? Yeah? What? If you look away from me, I know you're thinking of somebody. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the answer is yes, right? Yeah. There is. There is. There are probably people, even within this small youth group, where it's like, 
is, yeah, <laughs> where you can show more compassion to. You should be more Christ-like to, right? There are people that you can. I mean, the question is a rhetorical yes, it is. Uh, even within church, you guys, there, there are. I mean, we have a big enough church where I go walking through on a Sunday morning and there's, I see somebody that I'm just like, I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> and I avoid them, right? Because uh, it's, it's sometimes hard to talk to them. You know, or they're a difficult person to talk to. Or you know they're going to complain. Or you know that they're going to talk about something they shouldn't talk about. You guys stop grabbing each other's legs. <laughs> it's being weird. All right. So let me ask the second question to that. Can that be something we want to change within this youth group? Can that be something we want to change? I know. Seriously. All right. If there, if there is somebody within that, this room that, that you have a hard time showing compassion to or grace to, can you change that? Yes, that's another rhetorical yes. How do you change it? By making them do something? No? By changing yourself and your heart and your like, point of view towards people. And like, yeah. trying to have like, more like, a Christ mindset, like you were saying. Yeah. It's, like, it's not them. Like, if you have a problem with someone, it's probably a lot easier to deal with yourself. Totally. And you'll see just like, a really big improvement just within yourself. Totally. I agree. You couldn't have said it. I couldn't have said it better. Good job, Lisa. The whole idea is like you get, you're going to change within yourself. Uh, I've used this story before. You probably heard it. I had this gentleman that I used to work with in the county. His name was Gary Anderson. This is big, this cowboy, right? Big redneck, Charlie Daniels type cowboy. Foul as all cuss. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ was his every other cuss word. I mean, just like, I mean, and he liked watching me squirm, right? He just did. He was just this big, he called me honey. Like, he just weird, big, just big, big cowboy, right? Just yeah, just I know, seriously. And it and he was like and I remember I just I would get so ticked at this guy. I would get so mad. He was my he was my foreman, so like on the dot your break was over, lunchtime was done, right? Like I would just oh I get so mad at him. And I remember one day I was I don't know if I was reading something or teaching something and the Lord just convicted me, Are you praying for this man? Are you praying for this man by name? And I remember going, No, I'm not, <laughs> nor do I want to but I did. I started my morning devotions praying for this man, Gary Anderson. Started praying for him. And just started saying, Lord, bless him. God, be with him. And say what? I said, Mr. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just started praying for him. And you guys, it was a hot day. It was 100, like over 100 degrees. We were throwing asphalt, shoveling asphalt, which is 400 degree asphalt on the back of a truck. You're, sweat, you're sweating so bad. You, you can't drink enough water. You're so hot working that way. And his water, his big old five-gallon jug had fallen over in the in the back of the truck and he had run out of water and i remember i remember opening it mine and going ha ha, ha, ha mine's full and just like convicted I'm like no you need to share with this man you need to give him some water so i opened up his and i dumped half of mine in there you guys i don't know if it was just me or if something impacted him but he he changed from that point like there was something different about that relationship we had I mean, the point where we were working in Tahoe a couple times together, plowing snow, and, and he kind of took me under his wing, and he taught me things, and like, because he had been doing it for close to 40 years. And it just, it changed me. It changed him, because I chose to pray for that person. So I encourage you, if there's someone even within this youth group, in this room, that you have an animosity towards or struggle with, pray for them. Because I could make you sit next to them. I could. I could be that youth pastor. Like, you're going to sit next to this person, you're going to, but like, I would rather you pray for that person. I would rather for the Holy Spirit to do that work here. Right? And so if there is somebody, let that be, okay? Yes, Josh. Yes, Josh. Okay. All right, last one. James 2, 18, verse 26. James uses both Abraham, father of faith, and Rahab, a Jericho prostitute, as examples of working faith. Why would James use such a diverse example of people? All right. Carter said because they're both the same, right? 
said that earlier. Anyone else? Why would James use such a diverse? Why? You don't have to be a specific type to be used by God. Ooh, I like it. No. In your wildest dreams, Jenny, how would you want God to use you? If God, if you, if God said came to you and said, Jenny, I will send you anywhere, do anything with you. What, what, what would be? Come on, be, come on, be big. I don't know, okay. It's okay, it's okay. Um, probably working with kids somewhere. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, I can see it. Little Mother Teresa. Little Mother Jenny Vining. <laughs> Little Mother Vining. I love it, I love it. Do you know God actually, do you know God actually ties his glory to us abiding in him and, and following him? He's actually glorified by the fact that we, we do things for him and that we, we honor him in this life. To the point where scripture says, Anything you ask of me, you'll get. Like I'll give you, because it's in His glory. Yeah. So ask it. You want to be Mother Vining in, in Tibet? <laughs> you go do it. You go do it. Thailand, Jenny. You go do it. Um, anyone else, guys? Why would God use both those examples? Any other thoughts? I mean, that kind of sums it up. But you know, guys, uh, James wants us to act on this faith. He wants us to live a true and living faith. You guys. You guys, come on. What are you doing? I just had to get an answer. What? It was basically the same as Carter's and Jenny's combined. Yeah. It, it, it works. Yeah. If the best person and the worst person are both expected to have the same faith and they both can't have the same faith, then mm. there's really no excuse for you not to have faith in whatever situation you're in. God, you're the highest and lowest. You don't really have an excuse. That's good. I like it, dude. I got goosebumps, bro. That's good, man. That's good. No, yeah, if God could use a prostitute and the father of faith, like, really do we have an excuse to not ask him? Lord, use me. Like, I mean, really, guys, what is your heart for God? What's your heart to be used by him? Maybe it is just to be a mom. Maybe you just want to raise awesome, holy, amazing kids. They're still going to be sinners, but maybe you just want to raise them, right? I see the thing is, like, maybe it's just that. Maybe it is to go work with kids in some foreign country. Right? Maybe it's to plan a Bible college. Maybe it's to, to be a part of something great God wants you to do. Be a coach. Be a coach. Whatever it is, yeah. You know, the Lord can do those things, guys. Calvary Monterey's youth ministry meets on Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Both middle school and high school students are welcome. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.